right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. You're joined by your regular host, Matthew Winkelstein. I'm joined by a special guest, Christopher Brenchley today. Christopher, welcome. Hey, Matthew. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. And that's the only time I'll call him Christopher. He actually goes by CB. We <laughs> talked about it a little bit offline, so I had to uh, had to hit him with the Christopher. So uh, a little bit about uh, a little bit about CB and how we met, and then we'll get into the episode here. So CB is a digital evangelist for nearly three decades. He's the co-founder and CEO of SureHand Inc., the skills-first hiring platform that instantly matches industrial employers with skilled tradespeople. He is deeply committed to expanding awareness of blue-collar career paths, reducing in reducing industrial labor shortages and ending underemployment. That's quite a mission, CB. Uh, yeah, we do have our work cut out for us, for sure, but it's a really important mission. And again, I appreciate being on today to talk about it. Yeah, of course. So uh, CB and I met um, uh, probably about, about a year ago now, yeah. uh, maybe about nine to 12 months ago. And so we met through mutual people around this industry, and we met specifically around marketing and construction trades, and we had a shared passion for that which is kind of unique. I don't meet a lot of people that are passionate about marketing and construction, but CB was that. So uh, we connected for a little while, and uh, now I'm really glad to have him on this uh, on this episode today. Uh, we're going to get into some things uh, about Rock the Trades and why I think that's very impactful and why I support that mission. And those of you who have listened to multiple episodes know from my previous episode with Adrian how passionate I am about that. Adrian and I are actually bringing uh, um, Russell's Building Camp to Akron, Ohio. Uh, so this is right in line with that. Also, I think CB has some good insights to share with us about he, how he's leveraging digital in this analog space to attract labor and also to help other contractors meet their labor shortage. Um, so before we get into Rock the Trades, um, CB, why don't you tell us uh, how you got into construction, what interested you, and uh, what was the genesis of Surehand and Rock the Trades? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'll, I'll try to keep it short for your audience. Uh, let's see, I've been in digital now probably 30 years. And my career arc's interesting in that uh, I didn't start out in construction or the industrial sector. Uh, you know, I was a digital guy. I had the good fortune of entering the workforce in the mid to late 90s when this thing called the internet was just being commercialized. And uh, I would say sort of the two red threads that run through the bulk of my career is, uh, one, I, I, I like to help companies do new things fast, regardless of the sector, really. And the second is, you know, the bulk of my career has been focused on uh, what's called ed tech, right? So leveraging technology for educational purposes, uh, primarily uh, helping adult working professionals, you know, find fulfillment, be successful in what it is they do. And again, for me, in the context of ed tech, that was all about, you know, corporate training, e-learning, online learning, performance support, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you know, I've worked for large multinational companies like Thomson Reuters, Walters Kluwer, uh, run big business units, that kind of thing. And I'd say probably around the uh, early 2010s, early to mid 2010s, I decided to get really small, right? And by 2015, I was bootstrapping a startup in the entertainment and media industry, again, focused on productivity and enabling workers to, you know, uh, find fulfillment and success. And in 2017, uh, I had the opportunity to lead an incubation cycle up here in Silicon Valley. I'm up in San Jose, California, uh, that was focused on the industrial sector and specifically how to remove friction from the talent ecosystem. Um, and that uh, incubation cycle was funded by the good folks at Stanley Black & Decker. You know, the gang that puts tools on shelves, your favorite hardware store. 
And really, we we in the team or myself and the team were looking at um, you know labor shortages across energy manufacturing and construction. What were the drivers behind those labor shortages, and how might technology play a role in solving that? So in many ways, sort of you know, as a white collar guy, my whole career coming at the industrial sector and the construction industry specifically, uh, as well as energy and manufacturing, was something that happened kind of more recently in my career arc. But those two red threads are the, I think the two things that keep me up or keep me go, get me up in the morning and keep me going. Awesome. Um, and it sounds like also you have a, a, through those threads, you have a passion for helping people. And um, as you and I have talked numerous times, you know, we think that construction is a, a undervalued skill inside the country and um, is a missed opportunity for a lot of people to be able to better, better their lives and also do some fun things they may be interested in. Uh, yeah, a million percent. I mean, I, I think for us, I mean, I think one of the drivers behind standing up the company, you know, following that incubation cycle, getting our investment, our, our seed funding, and standing up the company that ultimately became SureHand. And the way to think about SureHand really is it's just match.com for industrial employment. So we help industrial employers find best fit skilled tradespeople and semi-skilled labor for their open projects and positions, leveraging, you know, advanced search, AI, machine learning, that kind of technology. Um, and we do it in a way that is, uh, you know, faster, more cost effective. And, and you know, given the, the nature of the job market today, especially, and the disruption there, uh, it's solving a, a, a significant need. But I will tell you, I think one of the other things that's sort of come up since 2018 is, as we've been working toward removing friction from that talent ecosystem, the, the, the larger problem actually sits at the top of the talent pipeline in that there's such great opportunities across energy manufacturing and construction for workers to earn two, three, sometimes four times minimum wage uh, in these industries, in these career paths, but they've just been frankly overlooked or diminished over time for a variety of reasons that we can talk about. But it's just so important um, to the world around us. I mean, I like to say there's no white collar world without blue collar workers. If you stop and think about the work you do each day, the commute you might be doing, even the, the I guess it's Microsoft Teams call we're on right now, this podcast recording, none of that's possible without blue collar skilled tradespeople. It doesn't exist. Yeah. What, um, What's been your biggest surprise as you've as you've I've, as you've understood the trades more and the trades tradesmen and women themselves more? What's been your biggest surprise getting to know some of those folks? Uh, you know, well, I mean, one, I, I think and, you know, I, I think like most people, if you look far enough back in your family tree, you're going to find folks in your even if you're not in yourself a blue collar worker, you've got folks that uh, worked in blue collar jobs or industrial jobs. My grandfather worked in the textile uh, industry, for example. And uh, I spent a little bit of time myself working in as a painting contractor. I, I, whether or not I was skilled, that's debatable. But uh, <laughs> what I would say is, well, one, I mean, you know, clearly this is not a surprise, but these are, you know, uh, obviously hardworking, dedicated, you know, good people. We work with a lot of good people with Surehand and what we're doing with Rock the Trades. But I think the one thing that sort of jumps out at me, and it, and it does tie in the sort of Rock the Trades, is this idea that. You know, I hear expressions out there like, oh, the trades are for people who like working with their hands, right? Um, there's, you know, other misperceptions around sort of the trades being these sort of fallback career paths 
for, um, you know, kids who can't hack college, right? Things like that. And that, that, those are very real narratives that are out there. And I think what's most surprising to me uh, as a white collar professional is as I've had the opportunity to engage with hundreds, even thousands of skilled tradespeople, the companies that employ them and so on, is the, the A, the diversity, the growing diversity in that workforce, but also sort of the backgrounds and the skill sets and the interests. I guess it's really easy to put people into this box or that box. And the reality of it is, you know, we work with a lot of skilled tradespeople that have a broad variety of interests. They are folks who could have and might have gone to college, but preferred to go down the skilled trades career pathway, right? Uh, so that's number one. I, I think just this idea that there's this disparity between folks that choose white collar career paths and blue collar career paths, you know, at least in my experience, is sort of this patently false misperception. And I think the other thing that's really interesting about the trades is I think most people don't realize how the skilled trades are a clear and compelling path to entrepreneurship and owning your own business becoming a small business owner. I think everybody thinks of, you know, big tech uh, as sort of the startup entrepreneurial scene. And there, and, and that's true. But I think there's an equal number of opportunities, if not more, for people to get into a trade, learn a skill, become, you know, a journeyman in their trade, uh, and then and then build a business around that and grow that business and you know, elevate others uh, into those trades. I think that was probably the other aha for me is just how how big the potential is from a financial security standpoint. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice to hear someone not from the space share some of those same sentiments of you know about uh, about some of those perceptions. And they're not to your point, they're not correct perceptions either. I uh, I know some really smart people that chose the blue collar path. Just like I know some really dumb blue collar people, but it's the same in the white collar space as well, right? Sure. And I think it's so easy just to reach for those those perceptions of what you think someone should look like or the what what knowledge base you think they have because they chose this. And um, I don't know where that comes from. I think it's probably a college generated thing if I were to if I were to just blindly guess. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, well, I, that is the stigma that people have to overcome. Yeah, I, and I think that's a big part of and I know, you know, I know a lot of what we're going to talk about today is the Rock the Trades Initiative, what we're doing there. But I mean, I think that sort of sits at the core, because as you start to think about labor shortages out there and the dearth of skilled tradespeople, I mean, you, you, you see the same data I do, which is you look at any given trade, you have the baby boomer generation aging out of the workforce by 2030. They've held the higher percentage of the skilled trades jobs out there. Um, so pick a trade. You know, you look at the median age of a welder, a mechanic, uh, you know, in construction, you get into the, the uh, craft labor trades, carpentry, plumbing, electrician, and so on. And, and, you know, you're looking at median ages of, you know, mid to upper 40s, right? Then you look at the median age of a software engineer or a coder. It's 27. And you start to see those sort of stark differences start to play out. But, you know, again, I think the narrative around Rock the Trades and I, really core to our mission is sort of twofold. One is, you know, we talk about where did this come from? Where are these stigmas coming from? And as long as I've been in the workforce, as I said, roughly 30 years, and I would argue even the last 50, there's been this relentless prevailing narrative out there that is undervalued vocational training, what's now called career technical education, union apprenticeships, 
with this college first, college degree by default mindset. We're not anti-college, but the idea that, you know, uh, college isn't a best fit starting point for everyone, right? Uh, or that you could start off in a trade, and we see this all the time, where you have people start off, they learn a trade, they'll have a job for the rest of their lives based on that trade, but they might choose to come in from the field and, and you know, get into management or need to go get an advanced degree in some cases. Uh, we see that all the time. And so this idea that, you know, you have to, you start with college, um, uh, and everything's going to work out just fine is just, again, part of the, I think, the misperceptions out there as it relates to the skilled trades. And when you layer on sort of myths out there around earnings potential, right? We could look at studies all day long that compare the earnings, career earnings arc of someone who went into debt, went to college to get a degree they didn't need to get in the job they got right out of college versus someone who went and got an IBEW electrical apprenticeship earn while they learn, came out, you'd be amazed how sort of in line those earning potentials are. Not everyone gets to become uh, a top litigator, a neurosurgeon, or CEO of a tech company. If you do that and that's your interest, you're probably going to get an ROI on your college education. But that's not the case for everybody. And that's, that's kind of at the core of what we're trying to push back on is that lack of parity between white and blue-collar career paths. Yeah. And there's a lot of similarities between them too. You know, what the path you just outlined, you can be a really skilled individual contributor and what maybe people may not recognize is actually a technical skill set. If you can weld, that's a technical skill that you can leverage in multiple ways where you can be a really good IC or you, to your point, you can go up through leadership. Um, so I want to I wanna get back a little bit to the company story here. I know I got us a little sure. bit off on some of these things sure. that influence labor shortages. Um, so... SureHand is a technology-based solution that helps match skilled labor with employers. So how far into that did you realize like, hey, this is going to work really well for employers, but we also need to fix this part of the problem, which is the actual labor supply problem? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great observation, Matthew. I think for us, it really happened as, we're, as we, like many companies, hit early 2020. Our early beachhead market, as I said or shared, was uh, energy, oil and gas specifically. Um, like many startups, you pick a beachhead market to prove out what you're trying to do, and then you expand from there. And, you know, the combination in Q1 of 2020 uh, between oil price wars and then the pandemic emerging and, you know, demand for oil and gas uh, bottoming out essentially flatlined hiring activity uh, in that sector. So like many businesses, we were adversely affected by that. And that sort of led us to two um realizations. The first was, or, or I should say outcomes. One was we accelerated our expansion into the manufacturing sector, uh, which we completed last year, making that shift. Um, and, and then as we look at 2022 and consider 2023, continuing that expansion into construction, namely commercial and heavy civil, more so than residential construction, when it comes to that talent ecosystem. So I think the pandemic was a big driver behind that just because of our own experience as a business. But again, as we started having conversations with our employer partners, um, taking a look at kind of the macroeconomic trends that were coming out of 2020 and 2021, we realized that not only did we have this sort of existential challenge for the company, much less the society around this idea that look, if the skilled trades dried up and we didn't have anybody getting excited about entering these career paths, 
we're all in for a heap of trouble uh, as a society. You think about everybody out there who, you know, builds, operates, and maintains the world we live in. That's the skilled tradespeople. It's the blue-collar workers. So we're wholly dependent on them. Um, that was sort of the other aha. And then I think the second thing was when you when you pull back and you look at all the sort of macroeconomic drivers and effects of what's happening right now, coming off the pandemic, everybody, white collar, blue collar, everybody in between considering like what matters most to them in life. And, you know, is it, is it work-life balance? Is it earnings potential? Is it, you know, what are the things that really sort of check the boxes? And you see the things out there around like the great resignation and you're seeing the unprecedented quit rates and you're seeing workers be more choosy about those career paths. You combine that with you know, uh, again, these skilled labor shortages out there in the industrial sector and this renewed uh, interest and in energy or investment in our nation's infrastructure, you kind of have this perfect moment in time, I think, where we together as a collective, all the industry stakeholders across energy, manufacturing, construction, have a real shot to sort of push back on that narrative, that stigma and you know, start to rebalance the conversation around the value of blue-collar career paths versus their white-collar counterparts. You know, again, nothing wrong with white-collar careers. You need those folks too, but not at the expense or the dearth of blue-collar workers. Well said. It's not that one is worse, not one is worse or one's better. It's just different. They we we need them all, and they're appreciated all, and they take different skills. Um, I could, I know I can't be a welder. I've tried, but I, I'm decent on a computer. So thank goodness I've got that. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm familiar with the rock the trades program. A lot of our listeners probably aren't. So why don't you talk us through, you know, lofty ambitions. How are you utilizing the rock the trades brands and what are you doing to try and get more people interested in the trades? Uh, yeah. So as I said, as we went through 2020 and made the turn into 2021 and had these realizations around the problem at sort of at the top of the talent pipeline, again, there's just not enough people entering the skilled trades. Um, as I started thinking about that problem, it occurred, I, I started thinking like, like you would with any problem, anyone would think, well, what's driving that? What's causing that? Well, beyond the sort of baby boomer generation aging out of the workforce and this relentless prevailing narrative that's out there. And I, I you know, I've talked to just since April, since we stood up the Rock the Trades initiative, I've had hundreds of conversations um, uh, with industry stakeholders, and there hasn't been a single person, not one person, that hasn't sort of, that this whole idea hasn't resonated with, which is rare, honestly. You, you, you usually will run into people say, no, that's crazy, that's never going to work, or no, that's not really a problem, right? I think there's just violent agreement on, on the problem that's out there. Uh, but the the thing that I will say in terms of what we're doing with Rock the Trades, which is very simply a workforce development initiative, we've got two sort of things we're trying to drive. One is to raise awareness of skilled trades, career paths as being, you know, fulfilling and financially rewarding and stable career paths to consider. And for those to embark upon those career paths to empower them on those journeys. And I'll talk a bit about that. Um, but the kind of the aha, the thing that sits at the center of uh, Rock the Trades and ties into your, your, you know, the conversation we're going to have around social media and digital and all this stuff is um, this idea that, you know, I started thinking about it. There's a lot of organizations out there, whether it's, you know, government organizations and programs at the federal, state, local level, whether it's employers and brands, 
we either employ or sell to skilled tradespeople or industrial workers to uh, industry associations, academic institutions like inclusive of, uh, inclusive of community colleges, trade schools, and so on, labor unions. You know, I know that there's been a tremendous amount of energy investment and intelligence, people far smarter than I am on this stuff, attacking this problem over the last 5, 10, 20 years. So why is it not getting any better? Why is it getting worse, right? And one of the things, one of my takeaways anyway, and kind of at the center of Rock the Trades is this idea that for all those initiatives out there, and it's great that there's that many, there needs to be more. I'm not advocating fewer initiatives, uh, but one of the challenges, they're inherently siloed or stovepiped. And what I mean by that from a marketing standpoint is um, they're all focused on a specific industry or a given trade in a specific region or a community within that region or a cohort within the community, right? They're, they're, they're siloed off, right? And so everybody talks about the data, the stats, the, the kind of the economist wonky stuff the same way because we're all referencing the same studies and the same data. But when you get to the messaging and the marketing side of it, everybody talks about the problem in slightly different ways. Everyone's coming up with their own brand and different hashtags and memes and all these other things. And the problem with that or the challenge with that is that creates a lot of noise and that noise noise leads to dissonance and it and it really prevents that message from getting the reach and getting to the volume that it really needs to given the severity of this issue um, in front of us and so when we stood up rock the trades from the beginning you know we invested in the brand development we invested in standing up this mission we lit up the rock the trade scholarship fund we have the free rock the trades app uh, out there um, and so we're doing all this stuff, but we're really the first sort of roadie partner on the Rock the Trades mission. The vision from the very beginning was to create this social impact brand, an open source brand, if you will. It was designed specifically to be adopted by those out in the marketplace, industry stakeholders, you know, from all the entities I referenced, is how can we get everybody leveraging Rock the Trades as a rallying cry, as a call to action in a way that people can, whether you're an organization or individual, can really rally around this cause, really get to signal on the message. I think the best examples to think about are, you know, I'll date myself a little bit. You go back to the 1980s, Nancy Reagan had her Just Say No to Drugs campaign, right? That was a big campaign, right? And and it, and then you come, you think about, you know, the Got Milk campaign at the dairy board done and then you know the myriad of social impact issues and recent memories right all of those initiatives were centered around this kind of rallying cry this meme if you will an expression and we really think that one of the missing ingredients in all of the work that's good work that's being out done out there in the local communities is it's just missing that that high level narrative so at, at the very core what we're trying to do is really drive that message, drive that rallying cry through a variety of partnerships, doing podcasts with folks like yourself. Um, and, and I think most importantly, raising this issue for an all collar audience. Everybody in the blue collar world, blue collar households, they, they get the joke on this. They understand that these are fulfilling and rewarding career paths for people. It's expanding that awareness to an all collar audience so that white collar households you know, you'll see parents out on Facebook wildly celebrating their son or daughter getting accepted into a union apprenticeship program or JATC program or 
getting into a trade school. I never see those things or rarely see those things on social media. So I think all of that sits at the core of what we're trying to do with the brand. Uh, all good stuff. And uh, one of the um, one of the things I want to point out, too, that I think you've done a good job of and different probably than other tax tax people have taken is you really highlight the difference in the skilled trades. So you have a, a handful of influencers that you all work with that you post content through, and they are showing a different side of the trades than people might think, which I think that probably goes a long way with breaking down the stigmatism and also shows the creative power and the intelligence of some of the people that are in these uh, skilled trades positions. Yeah, I mean, look, I mentioned the sort of the idea of a roadie, right? Surehand being the first roadie. Um, but but the most important sort of construct in the whole Rock the Trades initiative, in my view, are our rockers and the folks that you reference. So we're building out a roster of industry influencers, folks who are called, who are called we call rockers. They're unpaid ambassadors. They're we're not doing it for the money. They're doing it because they've got a deep love of the trades that they're working in uh, across the industry sectors, as you just mentioned. But But I think the most important part of this is people need to see themselves, what uh, a skilled tradesperson looks like, what their life could be like, not just the work life, but their personal life and so on. And there's no better way to do that than to put these folks up on the figurative, if not literal stage, as part of the, the, the rocker construct that we've got with our Rock the Trades initiative. And so it's all about, as we bring in uh, or bring on new rockers across the trades, and you know, these are folks that are expected faces, and there's unexpected faces out there, right? We're trying to show the broadest representation of these skilled tradespeople to celebrate and honor the work they're doing. But again, most importantly, give that you know eighth grader out there, let's call her Janie, who's thinking about you know maybe she could wants to become a mechanic or welder. If she doesn't see uh, you know a shining example of a woman who's become a welder or mechanic. She doesn't have that. She doesn't have that model. She doesn't have that thing to look towards. So, you know, there's no question that I think diversity and inclusion across the trades is an important topic um, to consider as you think about closing the the labor shortage, the skills gap that's out there. Just because, you know, it really needs to be a come one, come all proposition. But the rockers, to me, are central and key. Uh, to providing that representation. And they, they also allow us to absolutely exponentially expand our reach of the message on social media through digital channels. Nice. How, uh, so I, I, I'm going to ask you two questions. What's been the sure. reception of the of the trades per, tradesmen themselves? And then what's been the reception from employers? Well, I, I can tell you, I think both, as I said, I mean, everyone that I've spoken with on any of the industry stakeholders, whether they're on the trades side, the worker side, or the employer side, and other related stakeholders, has been overwhelmingly positive in the sense that, number one, this is a huge issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, and, and with that comes a lot of opportunity to drive change. Um, I think the idea that we are really trying to focus on putting skilled tradespeople, their own genuine, authentic narrative stories, experiences, how they got into the trades, what challenges did they encounter as they were coming up in the trades. Doesn't matter, you know, again, whether these were unexpected or expected faces or or backgrounds in the trades. Um, that that the I think the reception to become a rocker, and we've got about two dozen now. We're adding about two a month. 
and we could add more actually. We're now at that nice point of the initiative and we were at it now probably nine months in where you know both the rock, rocker candidates are now coming to us, right? They're coming to us saying, hey, we wanna be part of this. We wanna help spread this message because we believe and have experienced firsthand the value of creating a career in the skilled trades. Uh, and then the employer side, look, there's not an industrial employer out there that's not facing significant uh, talent acquisition and recruiting challenges in the skilled trades, in the semi-skilled labor workforce out there. I mean, there, as I was talking earlier about industry research and data points, I mean, it's, it's downright scary. So I think that the industrial employer mindset, whether it's in energy, manufacturing, construction, is very much about you know what, we could, we could grow our business, we could generate more revenue or profit if we had more people. That centers the organization's mindset and everything that they do on this problem. And, and again, I, I think when you look across those industry sectors, you're seeing more and more companies pay more attention to how they market their company as a brand, right? I mean, talent acquisition is selling your company <laughs> and a job that your company has to a consumer, which is the candidate. And as we talked about earlier, the job market's such that the employees, the workers, uh, have increasing leverage, and it continues to increase. So you're seeing a lot more, I think, creativity on the part of uh, companies and employers in terms of the kinds of solutions that they're using to engage talent, Surehand and others, uh, leveraging social media channels, in new and exciting ways to promote their brands and authentic narratives of what it's like to work for a Stanley Black & Decker or a Qit or a Siemens or a Chevron. I mean, it's, it's about these stories because that's the stuff that, you know, kids aren't listening to their parents or their teachers or their guidance counselors. I didn't. <laughs> and uh, I doubt that, you know, and, and I think the ability to see for kids, particularly to see that that welder or that mechanic or that carpenter or electrician who looks just like them in action is really powerful and if and if they're seeing that on channels like instagram and TikTok, where they're consuming all their other content even more powerful absolutely um i want to get i want to get into the uh into how you're leveraging digital here but before we get into that um if if you're a, if i'm a trades person that wants to get involved in rock the trades uh where do I go to get involved? We'll put links in the show notes and also in the thing. Where do I go if, I, if I'm a person who's in the trades and also if I'm an employer and want to get involved in the program, where do I go? Yeah, so so for Rock the Trades, the best thing to do is go to rockthetrades.com. That's where, that's where it all starts in terms of the site. You can learn more about the initiative, regardless of whether you're a trades worker, uh, an employer or other industry stakeholder or just an ally of the trades who cares in this issue. Uh, I would say start with Rock the Trades. If you're, if you're a trades worker, someone who's already working in the trades, and you're looking to find work or advance your earnings potential, um, we have a free Rock the Trades app out there that you can download on Apple Store via Google Play. Uh, we are expanding the feature set and kind of the value to the end user, and it's all free to workers, by the way. Um, in coming weeks and that beyond the get work value proposition, which is where we started uh, our work, we're uh, expanding that uh, to include talk shop and skill up. Uh, the latter, in the same way that we use uh, technology to connect uh, workers with job opportunities, uh, 
uh, we're using the same kind of technology to connect workers and those that are not even in a trades career yet, the pre-career trades curious folks with training opportunities to skill up and acquire the skills they might need to embark upon a career in a given trade. And Talk Shop for us is an important part of this as we've found that when you look across energy manufacturing and construction, um, so much of the content on social networks is, as I said, very entertainment oriented, a lot of humor, a lot of creativity. It's all great stuff, but it doesn't drill into, you know, tools, techniques, tips, informal coaching and mentoring. We believe there's an opportunity out there in the spirit of empowering those that are in the trades to build a community or network of folks that are doing that. So all of that is through the Rock the Trades app. Again, you can download that on the App Store. And then on social media, we're focused on Instagram and LinkedIn. So typically, tradespeople, individuals are following us, engaging with our growing community on Instagram. If you're an organization uh, or an industry stakeholder who spends more of their time on LinkedIn, we're out there as well. So those are the three ways you can engage and get involved with us. And then if, um, so you talked a little bit about SureHand and we talked about how that's the technology-based solution to match skilled labor with employers that need labor. So if I'm an employer right now that's trying to solve that problem, how do I get in touch with SureHand? Yeah, SureHand.com, for that for that segment, SureHand.com is the best way to start. The easiest way to think about it is Rock the Trades as a brand, as a mission. Um, all of that is worker and consumer facing as a brand and then the employer facing brand um, essentially for the Surehand business and how we fund all of this, uh, that, that the starting point for that is surehand.com. And, and we're on all the social networks uh, as Surehand as well. Do you have an ideal customer size that you look at? Uh, we do have an ideal, ideal customer profile uh, on the Surehand business side. Um, we tend to work with uh, organizations with more than usually in the five to five, 500 to 5,000 total employee range. Um, at this stage, I think over time we'll support smaller uh, businesses um, and, and organizations. But at this point, the sweet spot for us really falls in the really thousand to 5,000 uh, total employee range. Uh, and usually companies that have significant hiring demand or turnover or churn as it relates to open projects and positions and the trades you know, out there, again, across energy manufacturing and construction. So brands that we work with, uh, for example, in the construction sector, uh, we work with uh, Blattner. And as I said, we're pretty early on moving into uh, construction, but we work with Blattner as a, a big construction uh, a company that focuses on uh, the build out of renewable energy infrastructure, just as an example. We work with large manufacturing brands like Siemens here in the US, uh, obviously Stanley Black & Decker, those brands, but usually the larger companies is whom we're focused on right now. Um, and, and I know from a little bit of uh, our conversation, so you take care of the trades, but then you also do NDE and QA, Q, uh, QA, QC technicians. So I know a lot of construction companies struggle to find that field support for an NDE tech. They can also do that and get you hooked up maybe with a secondary person for your uh, QA lead. Yeah, 100%. So, so right now, I would say if you look at the worker supply or the, the users that we have, uh, on the platform for employers to find. Again, this is a big part of our, you know, again, I think the gap solving the whole problem, like really that focus uh, is centered on us, you know, dramatically accelerating 
the growth of our uh, worker supply. But if you look at it today, I would say that the the distribution is we've got because we started out in oil and gas and specifically non-destructive testing, industrial inspection, and what you were just referencing. Um, uh, inspectors, welders, electricians are probably the top three, and we've got coverage across all 50 states. And again, our with Rock the Trades, especially emerging, we're continuing to grow that coverage both regionally and then by trade. We've probably got representation of well over 100 trades and subspecialties, primarily non-union um, from the onset, just because you know union halls and that that model in terms of uh, talent sourcing and, and job uh, dispatch, that already exists. But we're also very focused on promoting the benefits of union membership, as I said, union apprenticeship programs, do JATC stuff that's going on out there um, as well. Good, good, good stuff. Um, and I'd encourage, uh, you know, the, those medium-sized construction companies. I know I talked to quite a, quite a few people in those organizations that have the struggle with technology, right? It's easy when you're in one of these very large, successfully PC companies that has a lot of money to take bets. If you're in a smaller, medium-sized company, you're probably trying to figure out these technology solutions. And so I'd encourage you to look for partners like Surehand, where they do understand the technology really well. If you can help them get to understand your specific problem well, they may be able to help. And if not, I know CB is going to be honest and tell you, hey, we're just not the right fit for this one. Uh, yeah, no, you, you have to understand, like you said, I think understanding the ideal customer profile is really important for any business, anyone who's trying to sell anything, to be honest. Um, so 100%. And, and the other piece that I'd say is, you know, what we're really trying to do from a business model standpoint, because, you know, there's multiple ways to innovate, right? One is to leverage technology and new and build new solutions and all that stuff. The other thing we saw what technology actually affords us the ability to do is we believe a big part of the friction in the talent ecosystem is the transactional nature of how employers have traditionally found talent, right? Regardless of the, frankly, the domain, but even in the skilled trades and the, and the semi-skilled labor force, you know, when you look at job boards and job postings, that business model, you look at recruiters and staffing firms, those are very transactional. And every time you wanna go hire someone, you're paying a toll, you're paying a price, right? What technology allows us to do in our approach to this problem using more of an AI, machine learning based, big data mindset is that gives us the economies to be able to offer what I'll call an all you can hire um, uh, business model. And, and that in turn helps remove friction from this, this problem space, this talent ecosystem, because our model is such that an employer will simply pay us a fixed annual fee uh, on a per user, per recruiter basis. Many people using the system is what drives the price point. But we don't care how many hiring conversations you start via Surehand. We want you hiring more people that are on the Surehand platform and in the Surehand app. We don't want to. We don't want to monetize you every time you need to hire that person. We want to make this an all-you-can-hire proposition. So not only is it more cost-effective and frankly easier for businesses to plan around from a talent acquisition spending standpoint. But again, we feel like it can really remove friction from the ecosystem because it's incentivizing employers to hire as many people as they can from our growing network of worker supply. And that's good for workers. Absolutely, good for, good, good, uh, good for everyone all around. Exciting stuff, uh, supporting your mission, hopefully it continues to grow and get some more employer sponsors. And uh, I can see what it's doing with the Rockers and so that's gonna continue to take off.
Um, so now I want to get into, you know, you, you've mentioned friction a couple of times and, uh, you know, I can just picture some of the people that listen to this and some of the people I talk to that are saying, CB, how in the hell is posting on Instagram going to help my labor problem? So uh, why don't you walk us through a little bit of how you've leveraged social media for Rock the Trades and where you've reached that, the uh, trades people to get the message out? Well, again, I think it all centers on, uh, well, one, I think to your point, if, if, you're, if you're an employer by yourself trying to leverage social media, um, I think one of the biggest challenges, and I know you know this, Matthew, from the work that you do, um, I think one of the biggest challenges with these platforms is the need for content, good, compelling content that's going to get an audience excited and engaged. That's probably the biggest challenge, especially if, you know, creating content isn't your, your core capability, right? Uh, one, that's a big part of why we're standing up the Rock the Trades initiative, right? I'd rather get employers and organizations involved with the movement. Let us do that hard work. Let us drive that message and that narrative to bring more people into the skilled trades workforce. Um, but I think the specific ways we're dealing with it and the way to think about it is core to the rocker strategy is when we bring on rockers into the mission, and I think we're going to announce another one this Friday, um, who's an up and coming, uh, I think she's an apprentice, an IBEW electrical apprentice. Um, but she's herself got a growing social media presence. She's, I'm not a skilled trades person. I can't, I can't weld any better than you can, right? I can wrench on a car for fun. But again, I think this is where strategically, um, if I were an employer, and we're starting to see this more and more often on platforms like LinkedIn uh, and others, is identify within your own employee base right? Those that are already working in the skilled trades or on the, the plant floor or out on the job site, who you might be able to showcase and feature their narratives out on social media, right? It's an easy place to start if you're going to try to do it yourself, right? Because I, I can almost guarantee you that like any other product out there today, right? Net promotion and referrals and all that stuff carries a ton of weight. So when you can put, you know, folks that love working for your company uh, in a given trade or an industrial sort of position out on social media channels, whatever those channels are, share those stories. That is firsthand endorsement of why someone should come work for your company. So I think that's an easy thing folks can do. Um, but for us, it's about the rocker strategy. It's the, the, imagine right now we've got about two dozen, as I said, imagine we have 200 and you look at the collective reach of that growing rocker uh, influencer base and you know it's not how many followers does rock the trades or surehand have on these channels it's the aggregate following of all those followers and what we're really starting to see that's really interesting is the interaction among those rockers within that growing community um, because how all these social networks work the underlying algorithms and all that technology you know, creating that that engagement, creating that interaction where those rockers are the ones that are create they're already creating the content mm -hmm. in their day-to-day -day work life. All we're doing is amplifying those narratives and that content through what we're trying to do with Rock the Trade. So in many ways, we don't have the need to create the content because we're not the skilled tradespeople. We're not the ones who are up on stage. We're behind the scenes. We're just roadies trying to keep the show going on. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. So it's, 
I mean, they're not employees, but if it, they were employees, be empowering your employees to have the latitude to be able to create good content. And then you're also helping with the distribution component of it through your brand, through connecting different people and allowing the people that are rockers to make the Rock the Trades initiative what it is, right? Yeah, and and they're buying into the initiative not because we're paying them. It's because they care deeply yeah. about the survival and the thriving of the trades that have given them their, you know, that fund basically their day-to-day -day living, like like all of us. Yeah. And uh, again, I, I'll tell you, I am I am every day inspired by the energy and the enthusiasm and the commitment and the work and the accountability that are again our rockers are doing out there and, and and again i think you said it early on in the show the creativity and the sense of humor and the and and you know again these are all things that can push back on negative or adverse stereotypes that tie back to this you know decades long narrative that has created the stigma associated with the trades out there we got to reverse that trend the, the, every day is a great day to rock the trades in my opinion <laughs> Well said. I like that. Every day is a great day to rock the trades. I'm going to I'm going to use that one. Pass on the rock the trades for you. I love it. I hope you do. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to wrap up here uh, and we're going to get into uh, I'll give you a second to think about it. We want to hear your best routine or habit. Uh, but there's something that you kind of said there at the end that I want to touch on. Um, and that was you had mentioned that the that the um, that the rockers are passionate about this, not because you're paying them, because they're passionate about what they're doing. And so what Rock the Trades is doing is facilitating that passion. You're allowing people to be able to connect. You're creating that community. You're putting some consistent branding to it and allow them to really be able to carry that message and let their passion shine through. That's what I see big mistake in a lot of employer brands, especially when it's in the recruiting side, is they focus so much on what's great about this company when those things may not be what's important to the people you're actually trying to hire. And so that's why you struggle to create that brand. CB also mentioned net promoter score, which I would suspect not many people know what that is. Simply, that's how likely someone is to recommend you. And so that becomes so important right now during this time when you're trying to attract labor. And that that person knows two other people that work there. How likely are they to say, hey, you know what, come work for this company? Or how likely are they to say, hey, you know what, maybe you should look at other places. And um, that happens in person, obviously, but it gets expedited and becomes exponential with digital channels where people are able to talk on job boards or people are able to communicate without necessarily the employer knowing. So lots of good stuff in here. I think there's a lot for employers to think about about this problem. Also for them to consider some of the things that Rock the Trades is doing. Also consider supporting Rock the Trades. And uh, with that, I'll quit talking and ask CB, what's your best routine or habit? And then uh, if there's anything else you want to say just to wrap us up about Rock the Trades or Surehand, please uh, feel free. Yeah, so it's a great question. I, I think there's two habits I, I'd share with your audience. Um, one, I actually picked up, uh, as I said, I worked when I was in my early 20s. I worked for a residential house painter. Uh, I wasn't terribly good at it. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I spent about four years uh, working in that trade. And uh, I learned a lot. But I think one of the most important things and enduring things I took from that experience that, I, that I've used every day since in my, you know, my white collar professional career arc is, you know, it was so important, at least to the contractor that I work for, that, you know, at the end of every day, whatever job site we were on, we always, you know, we always took time at the end of the day to pull that job site together, right? You clean your brushes, clean your rollers, you do whatever you do to put your equipment away and everything, you know, was, there was this orderliness to it. 
at the end of the, the, the work day so that you could hit the next day on the job site and just get at it right away. And so I carry that practice and I've carried that practice into my work life in two ways. One is sort of in the physical realm. And this is really important, I think, in this work from anywhere, work from home, you know, what we've we've all, like in the white collar world, a lot of us have, have been, have shifted to probably in the last couple of years is this idea that, you know, at the end of my day, like however many notes I've taken, uh, whatever work I've done, I always make sure that I leave kind of my workspace in a way that allows me to come back the very next day and just get right at it. Um, and then, and that's environmental, right? The work environment that I'm in. And then I think the other thing from a technology standpoint, and there's a lot of different tools out there to do. So I, I'm partial to Evernote, but uh, I literally get through my days um, leveraging a tool like that where I can sort of keep that digital checklist in the same way. So I know each day what I'm getting through, whether it's a strategic element or, or initiative, whether it's tactical, you know, everybody's got some mix of those things in their day to day. Having that bit of structure, because I'm otherwise highly unstructured, um, really has allowed me at a variety of levels across my career be as efficient and productive as possible. And I think most importantly, it allows me to put work down to the degree I'm able to do that uh, at the end of the day and enjoy my family, enjoy my life. You know, for me, you can tell I'm super passionate about our mission. I've worked my tail off to drive whatever it is I'm driving. But in the end, these things really fund the important things in my life. And that's, you know, family, my wife, my children, the things that we do. I mean, all that is what really matters most to me. So anyway, those are two habits or tips that I find have, have helped me. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of you do those things, but anyway. No, those are good ones. And uh, I found from asking that question, it's, you know, a lot of people think their habits are obvious and, you know, maybe someone's heard of parts and pieces of it, but I've had a lot of feedback about people that have t- uh, gleaned habits from uh, that question. So I'm, I think you'd be surprised how many people don't do that. Um, anything you want to end us with about Surehand or Rock the Trades? Uh, look, again, uh, one, I'm grateful for the, the visibility and, and really enjoyed our conversation today. I think, as I said, rockthetrades.com is where you can get involved with the initiative. Uh, you know, I, I've said more than a few times that, you, you know, if nothing else, uh, be mindful of the all the workers that it takes to make our world go around. And again, next time you go drive to the office or the grocery store, or do something out in the built world, take a minute to be mindful of the thousands, tens of thousands of skilled industrial workers and semi-skilled uh, labor uh, folks out there that are making that that day, that journey, whatever it is possible. And I think you'll you'll come to really start to, if you don't already, appreciate how important they are and how critical this issue is to our country. So anyway, again, thanks again, Matthew. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Appreciate you being a guest and uh, I'm going to end it there. This has been another great episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. Hope you all turn in next week. Thank you. Bye.